Okay. I think we're good to go. Um, real quick, I talked to Larry last week, and you know, he gave me some words of encouragement in regards to me preaching today. And he said, I don't leave often, Colby. Just don't mess this up. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no, Larry didn't say that, but... Um, you can tell him I said it just for the sake of next week, and then he'll be like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> but good morning, everybody. Um, you know, I want to thank you all for being here today, and thank you to Gerald for leading in our Bible study and also our, our songs here today. And I want to also thank those who led us in the Lord's table as well. It's an honor to be able to stand before you guys today and to deliver a message from God's Word. And as most of you know, I'm a high school teacher in my professional life. And like all educators, I stress to my students the importance of two things, punctuality and preparation. Now, like all educators, um, or keeping in mind, like all educators, a few weeks ago, some of you in the audience found out that I was preaching today and you asked, Colby, what are you going to preach about? So keeping my profession in mind and those virtues that I emphasize, I chose not to practice what I preach in school. And instead, imitate the typical behavior of many of my students who like to wait as long as they can to either do their homework or study for an exam. So after being asked that question, I thought to myself, man, I better, I better figure this out. So as I pondered over that question of what to speak about, and I kept thinking about the past few months, I searched the internet and books for ideas, but in the end, my mind kept coming back to the Apostle Paul. And if you haven't been here lately, we've been studying the life, the work, and the evangelism of Paul in the book of Acts on Sunday mornings. As a kid growing up, raised in a denominational church, I knew about Paul. Now, I was taught the stories that many of us are familiar with in the Bible, including his persecution of Christians, how he was blinded on the road to Damascus, and then over the course of a few years was killed for teaching others about Jesus. And those are all important facts to know. However, I think it would do us a great disservice to reduce all that Paul did for the early church to just a few quick bullet points that we quickly gloss over and then we just move on to the next topic. So what I want to what I want to do today is to examine the Apostle Paul more closely. And I want to concentrate on the various lessons that we can learn from him. So the title of today, just as Cameron said earlier, or the message of today, is the things that we learn in Paul. Now you have to know that Paul constantly encouraged others to follow his example. This implies that he was a man who lived in complete consonance with his message. And he was definitely no hypocrite. Not only so, but he urged others to live a life worthy of imitation, considering it a venture that was both admirable and possible. In your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And this is the verse that we read earlier today. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, most likely in Macedonia. And this is what he tells him. Paul says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, 
Show yourself an example of those who believe. I believe many of the greatest truths of the Bible are found only in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Revealed to us by God solely through him. And there are also many lessons that can be gained by studying his life. So today I would like to list and discuss five lessons that we can learn in Paul. And here's what they include. Number one, a lesson in a change of heart. Number two, a lesson in true conversion. Number three, a lesson in the grace of God. Number four, a lesson in sacrifice. And number five, a lesson in the worth of a Christian life. So let's start with the first one. The first thing that Paul will look at is a lesson in a change of heart. The greatest evidence for the veracity, integrity, and truthfulness of Christianity can be found in how God deals with humans throughout history. We all know that Paul was called by Jesus on the road to Damascus, but if we take a step back and we pause for a moment, look at Paul's life, we find that it is one of the most distinct pieces of supportive evidence for a change in heart. In order to better understand his change of heart, let's look at some of the facts about Paul's life. So fact number one, Paul was a well-educated and devoutly religious man, not one who would have been easily swayed by superstition or deception or some fad religion of the day. Turn with me to Acts chapter 21. We're going to be reading through verses 37 through 41. Remember that in these verses, Paul has completed the first, second, and third missionary journeys. He spent a significant amount of time in Greece, and he was able to communicate well with those in that area. Now he's back in Jerusalem, and he was visiting the temple. He was dragged out of the temple and beaten by a mob until the Roman soldiers arrived. They chained him up and they were about to take him inside of a barracks when Paul asked the Roman soldiers to speak to the Jewish mob. So here's what Paul says in verse 37. It says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt, and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them, And the Hebrew dialect saying, brothers and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. So how does this relate to Paul's education? He was able to speak two languages, Greek as well as Hebrew. Many believe he was also able to communicate in Latin because of his time spent in Rome. Being well-versed in multiple languages is not something that every average citizen that you pull off the street would be able to do at this time. 
So what about Paul's devotion to Judaism in relation to his education? Well, remember this. He was taught in Jerusalem under the guidance and direction of Gamaliel, the highest seat of Jewish scholarship in his day. Gamaliel was one of the most influential leaders of the Pharisees and an expert in the law in the Jewish tradition. To put it in modern vernacular, and no disrespect intended, but being taught by Gamaliel was not like taking a couple classes at the local community college. Being taught by Gamaliel would be like having a top professor from, as Gerald put it very well earlier, MIT or Harvard or Yale or any other Ivy League school of your choice. It'd be your private tutor. Now, however, I do think it must be noted, maybe using some of those universities in my analogy might not carry the same weight today that maybe it did many years ago. So in case any of you have been living under a rock the past couple years, I should let you know that some of our top educational institutions today still can't define what a quote-unquote woman is. But remember that Paul was also a Pharisee. He was a member of the most popular of all Jewish sects. He was an exalted Jewish official. He may also have been a member of the Sanhedrin Council, since he so easily gained the ear of the high priest, as we'll read a little bit later on. The point is that Paul's academic achievement and commitment to the Jewish faith was second to none. Fact number two about Paul's life. Remember that Paul was radically resistant to Christianity. Moreover, he was the leader and its opposition. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 7. I want to read through verses 57 through 60. In these verses, we're going to look at Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr. And just before this, Stephen was brought before the Jewish council and falsely accused of speaking against the law of Moses. Stephen is allowed to speak... And he delivers an overview of the history of Israel to the council. Next, he rebukes the Jewish people for resisting the Holy Spirit. And he charges them with not being able to keep the law. So what's the council's response? They're going to sentence him to death. Starting in verse 57, Acts chapter 7, verse 57. Here's what it says. But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen, and as he called on the Lord and said, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin Against them. And then, having said this, he fell asleep. So, Paul, or Saul at this time, he was there. The very moment Stephen was stoned to death, and he watched the execution with his very own eyes. So, what does this conclude? 
Paul was not only a witness to the death of Stephen, but he also gave his approval by not speaking up or physically stopping this punishment. Fact number three about Paul's life. He had everything to lose, nothing to gain, for being converted to this new faith. Everything to lose, but nothing to gain. And when I say that, I mean that in the carnal, worldly sense. He was of the bourgeois, affluent, religious class of the time. He was both Jew and a Roman citizen. He would be able to enjoy privileges not afforded to a large majority of people. He was well thought of and he was highly respected within his community. So go ahead and turn to your turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I want to read through verses 4 through 6. Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 6. It is believed that Paul wrote this epistle while imprisoned in Rome. The letter is for the brethren in Philippi, and he is talking to them about the goal of life. Notice what he says about his confidence in the flesh, starting in verse 4. Paul says, although I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So what's Paul saying? Nobody can claim that they had it better than he did. So even with all that being said, what happens to Paul? Paul's converted. Not only is he converted, but he becomes the most skilled proponent, the most committed advocate, and fearless defender. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to read verses 6 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 6 through 10. Starting in verse 6, it says, After that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So we have to remember that Paul did not spend years with Jesus, traveling with him, learning from him, and witnessing all the miracles he performed as the, other apostle, as the other apostles had. But what is amazing is that even though Paul did not have the rapport, and even an eyewitness account of Jesus while he was on earth, he risked his reputation, his livelihood, and his life traveling around the world, spreading the gospel. 
fact number four about Paul's life. We need to remember that Paul's conversion was not slowly and gradually developed over time, but instead, quick and drastic. He did not spend significant time engaging in discourse and debating newly converted followers of Christ or conversing with the Sanhedrin, searching the scriptures to find the right answers before he became a Christian. He was not open to reconsider the tenets of a Jewish faith in an attempt to find the truth. In fact, he believed that those who were preaching this, quote unquote, Jesus as the Christ, as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, to be engaged in blasphemy. A charge that is so high that the only punishment that would suffice would be imprisonment or death. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I want to look at verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Starting in verse 9, it says, excuse me, starting in verse 1 in Acts chapter 9. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. So Saul, or Paul, he was a man on a mission. What was his objective? His objective was to quash anyone, man or woman, who was following or advocating for this new religion. But as we all know, we will see a radical shift in his perspective on his way to Damascus. So let's look at Acts chapter 9 still, but now let's go and read verses 3 through 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. Starting in verse 3, it says, Now as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. You see, it's at this moment that Paul, or Saul, he realizes Life's about to drastically change. But he has no idea what God has in store for him and the impact he will have on all nations in the near future. Let's skip ahead to Saul's meeting with Ananias. Still in Acts chapter 9, but let's go and look at verses 17 through 19. Starting in verse 17. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. 
And he took food and was strengthened. So I don't know about you guys, but that's about as quick of a 180 degree turn as one can possibly make. You might call Paul's momentous change an about face on steroids. So if you're not familiar with that term, don't worry. Guys, I'm here to help. It's a military term for a movement that's so sudden and so abrupt that when you turn, you face the opposite direction. Here are a few analogies that might kind of help us understand. So think of it like this. Have you ever known someone who suffers from alcoholism? Have you ever witnessed someone go from an alcoholic to being completely sober in just three days? Do you know someone who is deathly afraid of heights? Try to get them to overcome their fear by visiting the observation deck in the Sears Tower in Chicago, Illinois. Better yet, tell them that they only have three days to figure it out. If you haven't been there, it's completely glass. You can see the city streets right below your own feet, but it's only 94 floors above the ground. Or how about this? Many of us here live in the Kansas City area. Have you ever met a barbecue lover and connoisseur? Become a devoted vegetarian in three days? Doesn't sound like that much fun. But any of those feats would be impressive. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Paul made a drastic, about as drastic a change as anyone could make, religiously speaking. He went from an oppressor of Christians to a loyal follower in just a few days. Fact number five about Paul's life. Paul sealed his testimony about the risen Christ with his blood. Tradition says that he died at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero's executioner because of his faith. If he were living a lie, Paul would have confessed the falsehood of the Christian faith in order to save his own life. For example, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, so bear with me. Girolamo Savonarola. He was a reforming preacher who lived in Florence, Italy in the mid to late 15th century. He was a strong critic of the Catholic Church during his time, and he preached against the abuses of the Catholic hierarchy, among many other things. He claimed, as many have done throughout history, that he had received communications directly from God. Because of his statements and the charges made against the Catholic Church, he was arrested and tortured. After enduring hours of excruciating pain and suffering, Girolamo Savonarola admitted he'd been lying the whole time. The reason I bring this up is because when we look at the life of Paul, he never made any such admission. Paul had been physically beaten and abused over and over and over again throughout all of his journeys. Yet he held strong to his faith And no matter how much pain or persecution that he experienced, he was willing to be a martyr to carry out the will of God. So to sum up what we just discussed, 
to some of what we just discussed in the first lesson that we can learn from Paul. We learn a lesson in a change of heart. And how do we know this? One, we know this because he was a well-educated, devoutly religious man that would not be easily swayed to turn from Judaism. Two, Paul was radically resistant to Christianity, yet later became a strong believer. Three, Paul had everything to lose and nothing to gain by abandoning the Jewish faith, religiously speaking. Paul's conversion was quick and drastic, demonstrating a true change in his convictions. And five, Paul was willing to stay committed to his faith, even under the pressure of relentless persecution. And in the end, he's going to pay for it with his life. So that's our first lesson. Second lesson that we learn in Paul is true conversion. We learn from Paul that conversion is possible for anyone. Some deny that they're even able to change. Others state that they have lived a life so terrible or committed too many sins for God to be able to save them. But Paul's example shows us that any person with a real desire to do so is able to achieve salvation. We learn in Paul what we must do to be saved. First, believe in Christ. So turn to Acts chapter 22, verse 10 for me. Acts chapter 22, verse 10. This is Paul right after he's blinded on the road to Damascus. Pay attention to what he says. Verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up. Go on into Damascus, and there you will be told about everything that has been appointed for you to do. So Paul listened to what Jesus told him to do. He believed that what Jesus told him to do was true, and he acted upon it. Next, repent of sin. Turn back to Acts chapter 9 for me. We're going to look at verses 10 through 11. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Starting in verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. So what does Jesus tell Ananias to do? Go find Saul in the house of Judas. And what is Saul doing when he arrives? Saul's praying. So the verses here don't specifically say that Paul was confessing his sins, asking for forgiveness, and repenting of his old ways. However, over the course of three days, we can make an inference as to what took place because of what has been recorded for us in verses 17 and 18. You'll notice that Paul was not saved on the road to Damascus. What is Paul still missing? Baptism. I know we read this earlier, but turn back to Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 18. This time I want you to pay attention to what Paul does after he recovers his vision. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And immediately something like fish scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Notice immediately after Paul had regained his sight, what did he do? He's baptized. So let's fast forward to Acts 22 again. Like I mentioned earlier, we are back at the scene when Paul is being attacked by a mob of Jews. He's bound by chains and he's being escorted into the Roman barracks before he asks the soldiers if he may speak to the Jewish mob. In these verses, Paul's reciting the story of his conversion. Pay attention to what Ananias tells him. Acts chapter 22, verses 12 through 16. Starting in verse 12, it says, Now a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law, and well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing nearby said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I looked up at him, and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the message from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. The point is, Paul was taught by Ananias that in order to be saved and become a Christian, one must be what? Be baptized. So these verses show us that in order to achieve true salvation, as Paul did, one must engage in more than just simple lip service to Jesus. It involves more than just a sinner's prayer or maybe just a simple declaration that, yeah, I'm a Christian. One must follow all of God's plan of salvation. So the first lesson we learned in Paul is a change of heart. The second lesson that we just went over is true conversion. Now on to our third lesson from Paul. It's the grace of God. If Paul could forgive, excuse me, if God could forgive Saul, the persecutor, Saul, the blasphemer, Saul, the murderer, and he can forgive and will forgive anyone if they repent as Paul did. You see, Paul recognized his error. He admitted that his belief that Christians were the enemy of God and deserved to be penalized for their actions was completely false. Turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, starting in verse 9. It says, So I thought to myself that I had to act in strong opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons after receiving authority from the chief priests, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being put to death. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And since I was extremely enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. So Paul's recollection of those things kept him forever humble. But God extended his grace to him, even though he was the chief of sinners. Paul talks about this while writing to Timothy. 
So turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We were going to read through verses 12 through 15. Verse 12. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was previously a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. With the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. So further, knowing the conditions and responsibilities of grace made Paul the greatest among God's servants and spreading his message to others through his preaching. You see, Paul knew he was wrong. Paul knew he made mistakes. And Paul acknowledged that by the grace of God, made by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, was the only way that a sinner such as himself could be saved. So we've learned lessons in a change of heart. We've learned lessons in true conversion and also the grace of God. So now our fourth lesson. The fourth lesson we can learn from Paul is sacrifice. To him, nothing was more vital or important than eternal life. Listen to what Paul tells the brethren the brethren in Philippi. So turn to your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 7 through 9. Verse 7, it says, But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish, so that I may... So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, Paul believed all other worldly perks and pleasures were nothing compared to what Jesus had to offer and he was willing to give it all up. He was willing to give it all up to pursue truth. And his great sacrifices remain an inspiration to God's people forever. Paul accepted the Christian paradox. And he gave up all that he had to gain. He gave up all that he had in order to gain all that he could ever want. So what did Paul have to lose? Well, here's a few things. He lost his former religious conviction and affiliation. He lost his popularity that he had enjoyed as a Jewish leader and heretic finder. He lost his lifestyle. He reversed roles from persecutor to persecuted. From hero to heretic. And finally, the biggest sacrifice of all, Paul's going to lose his life. So now we move on to the fifth and final lesson. 
The fifth and final lesson that we can learn in Paul is the worth of a Christian life. You see, Paul believed the promises of God with all of his being, and at long last, he laid down his sword and shield. He knew his life on earth was drawing to a close, and he was ready to be with the Lord in heaven. Let's look at 2 Timothy. So go ahead and turn to your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Now this letter is written by Paul. It's considered to be the last epistle written before his death. So 2 Timothy, we're going to go to chapter 4. Let's read verses 5 through 8. Starting in verse 5. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. It says, But as for you, you self-restraint in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am ready, for, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul knew that his time had come, and he had contended fervently for the faith. In his mind, just like every Christian, he knew that everything he experienced was worth it in the end. Because when life ends, and we leave this earth one day, we get to be with our Father in heaven, and Jesus, the one who sacrificed himself on our behalf, be at his right hand. And that, my friends, and that, my fellow brethren, that is something that is worth living. So here's my conclusion. These all-important lessons are gleaned from the life of one of God's truest noblemen. The life, the work, and the evangelism of Paul is recorded and preserved for us right here in the pages of the Bible. His experiences teach us lessons in a change of heart, in true conversion, the grace of God, sacrifice, and the worth of a Christian life. Wouldn't it be wonderful to face the end of life with a plethora of memories like those of Paul? Wouldn't it be amazing to know that when you leave this world, we will get to see Jesus face to face? You can. And if you haven't made that decision to follow Christ today, why don't you start today? If you're a follower of Christ and you haven't been living as you should, let us know. All together we stand and while we sing.